Hi, I'm Candy, the final girl. Then you mean all this time we could have been friends? And I'm Erica Wright. But you are, Blanche. You are. (laughs) (laughs) Such a great moment. And tonight on the House of Screams School's Night Out edition, we are talking about the 1962 film, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, which is currently at its 60th anniversary. And Erica's going to start us off tonight. Ah, okay. So um, I'm honestly not sure that I saw this movie in its entirety until a couple of days ago, or I saw bits and pieces of it here and there because uh, my mom is like a big Turner classic movies fan. And we used to watch uh, some of these classic films together. And this film got a lot of play on that channel. And I, I think it still does, especially around Halloween. But every time we would watch it, my mom would get uh, like uncomfortable or kind of disgusted with things that were happening in the movie. And she'd want to find something else to watch. Um, So I've like I had seen most of the movie, but just like not all in one sitting. So I finally got to see the entire thing uninterrupted, (laughs) watched it by myself (laughs) because I knew like my mom would not want to like see that with me. Um, But yeah, this is. this is such a, a fascinating movie to delve into. Like uh, the film itself has just uh, a lot of different you know readings that you can get from it, especially the psychology of uh, the Jane character. Yeah. Uh, and I yeah, definitely want to talk more about that and like what her psychological problems could possibly be. Uh, but then like also the, the behind the scenes history of uh, real life, uh, like feud or um, rivalry between Joan Crawford and Betty Davis is also pretty interesting and you know, probably like flavored a lot of the performances in this film. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And, um, you know, for me, like we, we know that I'm a classic movie nerd, you know, that was <laughs> my thing. Um, besides horror movies, it was classic movies. And so, you know, I saw this at a pretty young age and I was just like really blown away by it. It was kind of like one of those big sweeping dramas and you really just don't know where it's going to go next. Mm-hmm. So it was very suspenseful. And it, so I enjoyed that. And I enjoyed um, the director Aldrich's uh, second film. Um, we'll talk about the genre of this in a second, but I love Hush, Hush, Wait, Charlotte as well, which starred Betty Davis and Joan Crawford was supposed to be in it, but she didn't like the director. So they replaced her with Olivia de Havilland um, of (laughs) Gone with the Wind fame. But I think those are probably the two best films. And they were the creators of this weird, weird subgenre in horror called, uh, and it was brief, but it was called Hagsploitation, Psycho Bitty, (laughs) Um, hag horror they're, they're, they were just ugly horrible names oh yeah and I'm like oh god and if this was a thing because it revitalized the careers of both Joan Crawford and Betty Davis mm-hmm. um, who by the time of 1962 were you know 
pretty well advanced because they were in early talkies. And we see some footage of some of those movies um, because obviously they, you know, didn't have the technology to like, you know, reverse age or anything like that. So, you know, footage from real movies they did during that time period in this film. So I think that's pretty neat. But the the fact that this whole sub genre of, of sort of like a slasher, almost sub genre, mm-hmm. you know, but with also it's, it's very psychological horror, but exploitation psycho bitty i mean it's such a rude term it's It's yeah Yeah, on on one hand it's like it's it's good to see like um you know actresses who were you know quote unquote past their prime um getting major roles in major films but then like the um the the way that they are depicted is like not very kind for sure we'll put it mildly (laughs) oh absolutely um (laughs) You know, and what's interesting is, is you know, I'm not going to be able to, you know, not bring up Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte a couple of times here. I'm going to have to do that. And but that's I still have not seen. Sadly. It's kind of a sister film to this. And like I said, it's done by the same director, so we have that same tone. But it's it's like a, you know, aging Southern belle or, you know, mm-hmm. like in this, you know, um plantation that you know old plantation house but it's uh considered one of the first uh movies to incorporate like grand guignol um Mm -hmm. really gore but well that's another we'll we'll do hush hush sweet charlotte sometime but this movie this was the first and it was you know there's it was based off of the book which i have not read surprisingly i'm that's going on my list um, to read. Yeah, I have not read that either. I did listen to a little bit of the audiobook. Um, it's like actually on YouTube. The whole like six hour audiobook is on YouTube. And the little bit I got through seemed exactly like the film. Yeah, I know the writer was very pleased um, with how uh, it turned out. Um, and And there's just so many. I guess we could address the feud, the famous feud first, before we start getting into like the psychology and, and feminist issues. You know, um, I was just uh, writing an article about how ageism is a feminist issue today, but um, yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, like I would love to address the feud and what I know of it because I did not watch the FX show, like mini series feud, Betty and Joan. Um, I just know the, 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 suing by olivia de havilland <laughs> who felt she was depicted incorrectly and 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 um falsely and she won that case but I, wow. I i will get around to watching that one day i sometimes shit just piles up and i that i have to watch and i can't get around to it all but no um, i hear that i totally hear that <laughs> but it's kind of like a Beatles stones thing everybody has somebody that they sort of prefer in the feud and mm-hmm. i have to say mine is betty davis because my mom, you know, you got to realize, like, you know, growing up in the 80s, Mommy Dearest came out. Yeah, that's my issue, too. fucking terrified of Joan Crawford. And I read the books, you know, I read the book Mommy Dearest by mm-hmm. Christina Crawford. And it, it's way different than the movie, but more terrifying. And I'm like, oh, fuck that shit. Um, yeah, yeah, I think I also saw the, <laughs> the Mommy Dearest movie before I even saw Joan Crawford's, like, you know, classic, you know, Hollywood movie. So that definitely um, skewed my opinion um, about her as a person and even as an actress. So, like, it, it, it kind of became like a turnoff, even with like watching her, uh, you know, some of her best work. 
which, you know, like, isn't totally fair. It's like, I think you can appreciate someone, someone's talent as an actor or an artist and just, you know, not, not really agree with their actions as a person. Absolutely. Uh, that's always up for debate. You know, like some people are like, no, cut them off forever. <laughs> yeah. Like it, sometimes we can separate the art from artists and there's times where we cannot. And that's always like mm-hmm. a personal choice. You know, and for me, like, I've seen Joan Crawford in some wonderful performances, including this subdued performance um, as the opposite, you know, uh, as Flame Blanche to the very overdramatic kind of garish baby Jane played by Betty Davis. But mm-hmm. I feel like as somebody who I wouldn't call myself a, an official classic film historian, but pretty damn close. It was a hobby for me starting in childhood. I think Betty Davis has consistently better work. Like mm-hmm. I've just seen better consistent performances from her. Um, especially like, you know, she, her career kind of went down and she came back with all about Eve and she was of a certain age at that time, you know, where she was past her prime. And that was, you know, a decade before this movie. So I praise her for that. Um but like, as far as them as people, they were both kind of biting and nasty, but mm. they were professionals. And they were, I mean, as much as they fucked with each other and as much as there's all these legends and gossip about it, it wasn't as bad. And I'm sorry to ruin anybody's fun with that. It wasn't as bad as, as people like to think it is. You know, people like to like drum up this gossip and all this stuff. So a lot of it never happened. It's just mm-hmm. your entertainment behind the scenes and we like a behind the scenes story like you know the decades-long affair between Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy you know like oh wow we like to make that this big love affair well they were cheating on their spouses the whole time but sure um yeah, right <laughs> <laughs> yeah like how do we how do we make that pretty but um but yeah like I I love that Betty Davis she's and, and there's something funny and I'm I know I'm going into classic film dump here but Humphrey Bogart who is my favorite actor of all time said you know and they were like does anything or anybody scare you because he was known for playing what's called the heavy or the anti-hero the sort of you know tough guy he said yeah betty davis she keeps a gun in her purse she terrifies me they did a couple nice. moves together so like humphrey nice. bogart said he was scared of betty davis she was tough <laughs> so for me like yeah like she was she was pretty badass then take yeah, shit. yeah i i really i do like her um I do like her a lot as an actress and uh, a lot of her earlier films too. She just, she did fantastic performances. Oh yeah. I think probably my favorite in this film too, but boy, she was not afraid to, to be a hag. And I mean, (laughs) I, I I read that she did um, her own makeup look and she was not afraid to make it unflattering. And um, it, it kind of has this look like she never like it just seems like she must pile on more and more makeup and never wash her face or at least that's how that character looks to me in this yeah and that's exactly what she was going for <laughs> and she said something like um mary pickford in decay or something like that or- uh yeah i could see that and uh and the fact that she uh she still has these kind of shirley temple curls as an adult in a little heart beauty mark yeah, it's like like, ooh, yeah, it was just added another layer of creepiness. It's like, wow, this is someone completely living in the past. Um, and 
you do kind of see some of that pattern though with a lot of people who were like big as child actors and then they just cannot transition um you know into adult roles to save their lives um like shirley temple who went on to become a a very famous un ambassador but like you know her career was not yeah (laughs) she tried acting when she got older and they were like we want the and this is what happens to a lot of child actors Mm-hmm. It is, and it, what happened to baby Jane, like your time has passed and we've moved on and that's it for you. Like, okay, mm-hmm. well, you know, Shirley Temple is like, that's fine. I'm just going to go work for the UN and that's amazing. Right. But, mm-hmm. you know, baby Jane and I want what I, what I noticed every time I watched this film is from the very beginning where we see, you know, the younger Blanche and, and baby Jane in her prime, this billion little you know cutesy actress got baby jane dolls are like practically you know human sized and you know it's her sister blanche her older sister blanche is just jealous and angry and the father manages baby jane's career and and, and baby jane is basically their meal ticket and the mm-hmm. mother it, it's it's like a split between you know baby jane and the father and then blanche and their mother mm-hmm. and, and her mother's telling blanche because blanche is angry and jealous and furious and um you know the mother's like well you're gonna have your time you're gonna have your time so it's kind of like they were both against the other side like there was clearly that that marriage was not good and they both had a favorite child Mm -hmm. i'm like wow toxic (coughs) family dynamics from the get-go and to be fair baby jane was a brat think of it that way um and with um with uh, baby Jane's personality, like she's definitely very like self-centered and kind of spoiled as a child. Yeah. But like a lot of children are technically very narcissistic. Like it's normal at a certain stage of development, but it's like, she never grows past that. And her like, dad attributed to that. Yeah, exactly. And get that money. Kind of like a little spoiler territory, but like kind of the the big reveal at the end about uh you know the the accident that injured Blanche. Um, it's like I like okay yeah that's a shitty thing to do, but I clearly Jane had a lot of um, mental health and personality problems that were not because of that particular lie. Like they allude to it in the movie, the way she acted on set apparently in some of her films that. Um, uh, like, uh, Very when, she, like, she, like, slapped or punched like security guards on the set or something. They was like, yeah, she she definitely had these personality problems anyway. <laughs> but to counter that a little bit, um, because I definitely wanted to talk about the ending because I used that quote. You, you know, you mean we could have been friends all this time? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you know, baby Jane. Uh, Hudson, you know, she she had some, you know, entitlement. She had problems, and there were clearly some personality issues, some addiction issues. She was a binge drinker. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that with the proper help, instead of Blanche finally coming up on her, with the proper help, then could that have been better? Yeah. But what Probably. she, but but you know, it's like so it's turned Baby Jane or Jane into this monster. Because Blanche has fed that monster all those years. Because they're clearly, you know, older women. And I mean, Mm -hmm. older, older women. You know, um, it's, you know, 
1962 in the film. So, you know, they're, they're up there in age, probably in, you know, their later sixties or whatever. And <clears throat> the thing is, is like Blanche was always like the whole movie. She acts like this, this victim and she is victimized. I'm not trying mm-hmm. to take that away, but do we, does anybody ever talk about how she victimized her own fucking sister? And, and not just in the way, like, you know, her anger and her resentment and her jealousy was so great. She had to have a better career. And then when her sister pissed her off at a party, just pissed her off because she was too drunk and, and made fun of her. She tries to fucking run her over. And then that freaks out Jane so bad. She goes off on this bender for three days and mm-hmm. oh no, Blanche had an accident and Jane did it to her. And she lives the entire rest of her life. Think until that very last moment in the movie, thinking that she did that yeah yeah so yeah she has servitude yeah so she has that uh yeah that level of like guilt um but then like also blanche another thing is like blanche could definitely afford to have like pay for a nurse or a full-time housekeeper i know there's the the lady who comes in like once a week but she yeah uh she could have had Elvira, you know, like there all the time, or she could have had other uh, paid help. Like it's clear they had a lot of money, yeah. but it's like, she's kind of holding her sister captive as a caretaker. Like, you know, you, you're the one who has to take care of me you know, all yeah. the time. So yeah. it's, it's a mutually ab- abusive relationship. It's just no, it's, like, yeah, yeah. I present the argument that, Blanche was no better than Jane. Jane was at least more upfront about who she was. Blanche kept this hidden, played the victim, tortured her sister, exacerbated her conditions, and then tried to have her committed after mm-hmm. she she completely wrecked what was already a person who was struggling with abuse issues. I'm not trying to paint her as a saint. I'm just arguing the other side, playing devil's advocate a little bit. Mm-hmm. What Blanche did went on for so long that it destroyed her sister, and then she was going to punish her sister further by having her committed and and then at the end, well, well, she's like, I'm dying. Oh, by the way, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, you you didn't do this to me. I did this to myself. Like, and that when that like, you mean all this time we could have been friends? Mm-hmm. Like, holy so shit! Sad. What a bitch! <laughs> it, it's so it's so tragic. <laughs> it's it's really sad. It's really sad. And and then I'll use that point because I had a little bit more where I wanted to take that for a second. Now, I um, obviously don't have any sisters. And I know that you're an only child, so you did not have any sisters. But I had a childhood best friend that was like my sister. Mm-hmm. And there is something um, called internalized uh, misogyny that happens yeah. with women and, um, you know, hatred and contempt for your own gender and also a competitiveness. And we see that a lot in, in um, recurring things, but it's never really brought to the forefront and named. But that is exactly what this is. And and and, and any, I, I've just seen it happen in a lot of female uh, relationships. And, you know, I experienced it myself. You know, um, she wasn't my sister, but she felt like it. I mean, I think our best friends are the sisters we choose. And it just that contempt for me that was I didn't know was there. And when I found out that it was, it was just completely devastating. Like this whole time you were working against me. And that is exactly so I kind of have that 
a little bit of empathy. I'm just saying they're both terrible people, um, the sisters in this movie. But I'm just saying, like, this is a real thing. This is a real problem um, within. Um, you know, it's definitely a feminist issue where this internalized sexism. I mean, it can happen with any gender, but it is most prevalent with women. They call them in a funny way. Uh, that's air quotes here. Uh, frenemies. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. Keep your friends closer and your enemy, your friends close and your enemies closer. And I'm like, why do we have wartime mentality against our own gender? Why do right, why are we yeah. competing? Why are we toxic to each other? It's really fucked up. And yeah, I think we've I think every woman has experienced it at some point, if not participated in that type of dynamic, knowingly or unknowingly. There's a really great book by a feminist uh author named uh Phyllis Chesler, um, she wrote a book called Woman's Inhumanity to Woman. I have it here on my Kindle, but uh, I've got it in my Amazon cart. Yeah, she got a lot of uh, flack when she was researching, like pulling together material for the book, and she was telling some of her feminist friends about her project, and they were not happy with this. Like, well, we need to focus on how men are oppressing us. Like, like we should we shouldn't like talk about women being shitty to other women because then misogynists will, you know, see this book and they'll be like, hi, I told you so, <laughs> but it's, but it's like, well, this shit does happen. Um, you can't it doesn't it mean the that, rug and pretend like it doesn't. Exactly. And, and to find a better understanding um, and peace within, you know, the sisterhood mm-hmm. Of feminism like you you have to know these things and that internalized misogyny plays into the male misogyny yep. you know so it, it really is the same issue because it's usually a societal kind of imposed thing like you know some of us you know uh see it growing up and and you know view women as you know, competition, like in Gone with the Wind, let's go back to a book written in the 30s. Scarlett O'Hara looked at every woman as competition. Yeah. She was, she had the internalized misogyny. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these women that have it, they don't even recognize it in themselves. They they would tell you all day and night, oh no, but they don't even recognize it. Like I have never participated in that kind of behavior. And when I see it, I'm just like, oh man. And it's so prevalent. In, in you know, you know, pop culture, and it has been for a long time. So this is a, and especially making them actual sisters, and 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 that being a theme, an undercurrent in this story, makes it a feminist issue. So mm-hmm. you know, there's always that that angle, and there are some other angles too. But I definitely wanted to bring that up. Yeah, and in my own experience, um, I, I I know that like younger women can be shitty to each other, but for the most part, I've experienced it from boomer women, um, especially boomer women in the workplace are the absolute fucking worst. And I think it's just because of their, their upbringing and conditioning. Like they grew up in a time where, when women did not have, uh, for the most part had a harder time getting good careers. It's like, Oh, you want to be a, you know, like you're going to be pigeonholed into a secretarial role or something like that some kind of pink collar hell. So like when women in that generation were fighting, if they did get some kind of upper management or executive position, it's like 
they fought really hard, but then they don't want another woman in, coming and taking their place. So instead of mentoring younger women in the workplace and helping other women, it's like, I, I'm, I have to be the queen bee. I'm the only special one. Like the rest of the women can fuck off and especially younger women. Like, so I just saw that, uh, that kind of behavior a lot. And think about how normalized it still is just even in like a movie we're watching, like a, a modern movie, you have your, your, your main and, you know, protagonist in the club with their girlfriends and they're making fun of all the other women. Like, Oh, look at her. She shouldn't be wearing that skirt. She looks like a whore. She, Oh my God, mm-hmm. she's too fat for that. And I'm like, it's bad enough that the men are doing it. Can't you be on yeah. your own side here? You're, 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 you're not even on your own side here. Mm-hmm. And other women oh are my god becky look at her butt <laughs> right right like i mean it's so toxic yeah. and it's like what's the best way to dismantle something from the inside mm-hmm. and they are usually not conscious that they're doing it or if they are conscious of it they would never admit it yeah exactly in, in my experience you know because I, I i did experience it my I, I have experienced it myself but i i just never ever wanted to play into that narrative like this is not okay just because it's in the movies and on TV doesn't mean that it's right. And it's just, it's, it's so tragic. It breaks up friendships. It, mm-hmm. it, it's just, and it's disparaging because, you know, there's self-esteem, self-worth, um, self-image, all these, all these psychological repercussions yeah. from it. And and that is kind of where I was going with, um, with Jane here. Like I'm not, again, not trying to make her a sympathetic character. I'm just trying to say that, the lengths that Blanche went to were equally as awful as the mm-hmm. lengths that Jane went to. They just don't seem that way because it's just this like I'm dying confession, but it's like, bitch has been years at yeah. any point you could have said this, or maybe when it happened, you could have said it, but no, your, your need to take me down and destroy me was so great because you were jealous of me when we were kids because mm-hmm. our parents pitted us against each other that I'm going to completely destroy your mind, your life, make you be a servant to me, have you roll around in guilt and then, you know, and mm-hmm. both encourage and then take away the alcoholism, you know, the alcohol supply for this clearly alcoholic woman who's mm-hmm. you know, struggling. So it's like, they're equally awful. Yeah. They're terrible. <laughs> it's just Joan Crawford. You know, she plays it so subdued and in a way that's more chilling then the 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 frankness of mm-hmm. Betty Davis's performance as Jane, it, it's almost more chilling because Jane will just say it right to your face. She'll serve you up a dead bird. She don't give a fuck. You know, yeah, she'll say yeah. what she thinks. But Blanche is over there. Oh, no, she's keeping me prisoner. I, I've kept her a mental prisoner. But no, no, that's not the same thing. And that's right. internalized misogyny that was fed oh, yeah. by her parents. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Um, I wasn't even aware until um, yesterday that there was a remake of this in the 90s. I haven't seen it. I did. Yeah, I did look. um, I did watch some reviews just to kind of get an idea of what it was like. But I was kind of surprised, like a lot of people have very like, you know, like positive things to say about the remake. Like at first I was like, oh, no, this is going to be awful or something. But um, apparently it's like a pretty solid remake. But uh, they do develop. some of those themes of, um, you know, Jane's mental health issues and like her suffering, like they, they make her a little more sympathetic because they develop that more yeah. from what I've heard, but I'm I not saw it when it first aired 
which would have made me like 11 or 12. And then I never watched it again. Mm-hmm. But the the Red Grave sisters as, as actresses, you can't even you can't see them. They're great. And, and, you know, and it was a little gimmicky in casting real sisters to do this. But right. I mean, when you have such great talent as mm-hmm. the Red Graves, like it, w- it was good. I always go back to this one, though, like because Betty Davis was insistent because they wanted to like a movie. You know, everybody's doing color now. And she's like, color's going to ruin this movie. Like that's and, think- and, and that's how, you know, Betty Davis was very outspoken. So was Joan Crawford in her own way. Um mm-hmm. But she very much like how they play on the screen is true to a certain extent for the the feuding behind it. Um, Joan Crawford always was worried about image and playing the lady and, you know, oh, the, the wounded party. But then, you know, would do those like bitchy things like when because uh, only Betty Davis was nominated for an Oscar for this. <laughs> I heard about this. Yeah. And then, yeah, when Ann Bancroft won, Joan Crawford, like, whizzed by her to go grab the Oscar for her. Because she's like, if you win, I'll accept it for you. I will do this. You know, and like, and, but she, you know, acted so classy the whole time. And that's like, what a bitch. But Betty <laughs> yeah. Davis was just straight up like, you know, when they were talking about the movie, she's like, yeah, I was great in it. And Joan Crawford's like, and she never mentioned anything about my performance. Now, that's real stuff. That really happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that is that is like super shitty. <laughs> and I think they kind of, you know, incorporated that a little bit into these characters and that kind of fed into this uh, legend. Um, they very much were, you know, because uh, the acting styles were typical of the roles that they would play. Now, after this, um, Jim Crawford would go on to do some more hag horror, hag exploitation, whatever you want to call it, um, badly. <laughs> Yeah, um, I remember uh, William Castle straight jacket being oh. one. Man, that uh, was the one, stuff what was it? What was it called? Hatchet or um, mm. yeah, that sounds right familiar. My tongue. I, I yeah, I'm not sure. But I know like straight jacket. Like Joan Crawford was, uh, she had apparently killed her husband with an axe. But I don't know. Kind of seemed like he deserved it, if I recall the film correctly. <laughs> or at least it, it, there was an understandable reason for it, but she was in a mental hospital for years and years. Finally, uh, is released, and um, and then there's like a new series of axe murders or something like that. And yeah, and I think that's the one I'm thinking of. I think there was another name to it. Yeah, and maybe it like maybe hatchet it had a or something. Because yeah, maybe it had more feel. than one title. But um, I think it was like later, sort of like what they did with like torso and stuff like that, like to appeal to like this new burgeoning slasher thing. Like, oh, check out these classics. We're just going to mm-hmm. give it another name. But, you know, I think that that's uh, the same one I'm thinking of. But I, I just didn't think yeah. that was as good as like when Davis would go on to do Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte, which is creepy as fuck and really, really good and definitely has a lot of these same themes in a different setting and a little bit of a different way. And uh, I thought it was great playing opposite Olivia de Havilland. I think it wouldn't have done as well if it was Crawford and Betty Davis again. Yeah. I don't think so. I, don't think I, I, I could see where maybe you just can't recapture that same uh, chemistry, you know, twice, potentially. But they got pretty far into it um, until at the last minute, Joan Crawford pulled out. And then mm. they put Olivia de Havilland and one of my favorites, Joseph Cotton, whose career also went in the toilet, but it's too sad. But talk about that. But yeah, um, 
the thing for me is, and I have this written down as just like this solitary line on my notes. Did Jane somehow know is what it says. Hmm. You think? I don't know. That's that's a good question. I, I really don't know. I mean, if she already like had a history of being like blackout drunk, she may have just taken, you know, taken that at face value that she injured her sister. But see, they never got along. So I'm just wondering, like, if somehow something inside of her, because there's times because, you know, there's a very it's a very nuanced performance. I mean, it's over the top, but there's times where it's just an expression on the face that changes Mm -hmm. and and it conveys a completely different emotion. Like, why was she continuing to drink like that? Why was why did she go to the length she did to punish her sister who she hurt in the first place is what she's thinking. Why would she go to the right. thing? One, she could say she was driven to madness, which is true. And two, maybe there was she a part of her that knew. Character could be part of it. Like it just—it was an idea I was entertaining because mm-hmm. you know it, it. There, there's just so much to this that you could really add or take away, and it could all be different because the movies made back then were very nuanced. There weren't. I mean, even though we have an over-top, over-the-top performance, really from both of them at times, uh, but especially from Betty Davis, people kind of take that at face value. But I'm like, there are these moments in between all of that because this is very, like, you know, atmospheric, moody piece. Um, you know, it's not like constant action, um, you know, where, where you see just a, a little of something like, well, why would she do that, though? Why, mm-hmm. why would she punish her sister because she feels guilty? Right, right. And you can argue insanity. Mm-hmm. That can and that definitely plays in the movie, but I have to think, you know, knowing psychology the way I do, there has to maybe in some kind of part of her mind there was questions. And and that played into the the madness and the, and the drunkenness somewhere in there that she would do these things. You know, like <clears throat> maybe unbeknownst to herself she kind of knew i mean i'm I, i'm just yeah, i guess i've pop- watched the movie too many times but right yeah it, it is it is one of those movies you can definitely get different things out of it um with rewatches and different uh nuances and, and ways you can read uh you know like the characters and their reasons for doing things which is like a hallmark of a great movie of course I completely agree. And especially given how movies were done then compared to how movies are done now, if we take mm-hmm. all of our knowledge and, and the growth and, and the fact that the feminism movement happened and what we know about mental health and trauma and all of these things, and you take all that back to 1962 and watch this movie, you're going to get a different read sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, I didn't think about it this way, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's what I love about going back to old movies. Like, oh, I didn't really think about that because psychology was different then. You could just call somebody insane and then just going to lock them away. But, yep. now, you know, it, even in 1962, and Olivia de Havilland did a very famous movie about it called The Snake Pit. But I mean, I mean. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, have I fucking love that movie, but it scares the shit out of me. Like, I mean, and it's not even a horror movie. It's just fucked up. Or, or um, suddenly last summer, uh, which is a Tennessee Williams play, uh, but the movie was Elizabeth Taylor and Montgomery Cliff. That's another one that's like the snake pit, but it's like psych- 
the psychological stuff was so barbaric. And if you read uh, Francis Farmer's book, uh, who was a famous actress and her mother committed her because she refused. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Will there ever Mm -hmm. be a morning is that book. And that is a great fucking read. And it really shows you what mental health care was like then. And it will Mm -hmm. give you fucking nightmares. So, I mean, even in the fifties there, that was when the lobotomy got big. And they yeah, would that, like one of the back. worst ideas, one of the worst ideas ever. Um, or yeah, give them an uh, overdose of insulin. Or, or, uh, yeah. yeah, overdose of insulins to fix them, fix them. <laughs> That's scary shit. It made them um, shut up. If yeah, listeners are ever in the like Kansas City, Missouri area, there is a town nearby called St. Joseph or St. Joe. And uh, if you are in that area, definitely visit the Glore Psychiatric Museum. It is pure nightmare fuel. Um, it is part of a it. real, um, it, it's like basically this, this whole wing of a, an existing psychiatric hospital, but they converted one huge wing of it just into this museum. So like the basement has all of these like almost medieval level, like torture devices that would have been used like in like the 17 and 1800s for, you know, quote unquote mad houses to treat lunatics. And it's basically, uh, yeah, we, we haven't done the house on haunted Hill remake, but the whole thing of like subject someone to something really traumatic and maybe it will shock them back into reality. And it's like, it's, yeah, it I was like the, the like, well, did you unplug it and plug it back in kind of thing that <laughs> yeah, doesn't work on humans like that. Um, but it's like, like you, you start even, the tour at the basement and then you, you like the next level, it gets into like, um, you know, like the earlier, like um, 20th century, you know, uh, stuff through the fifties. And there, there's like lobotomy, um, you know, ice picks and, and stuff like that. And it's just like, yeah. And that was back when <laughs> like these metal shock treatment. They would, yeah. Like, uh, uh, different methods of sedating patients of course like now there are all kinds of pills and injections but like one of these early tools it was just a metal hammer and they just like bashed the patient in the head to knock them out and it was like holy hell complete this utter barbarity mm-hmm. See, that's why like francis farmers will there really be a morning because she experienced all that and she made it out and and she she talks in depth about it i mean it, it's it's like one of those you read a chapter and you gotta set it down and like okay I'm going to go back in. I mean, it's really good, but it's so disturbing the state of mental health care. So that's what the kind of mental health care that we're dealing with in the sixties, where it was just starting to like, okay, we've got tranquilizers that are better or like Valium and, and these other things Mm -hmm. that were around and they were still experimenting. Um, You know, I really don't think we hit the modern age of psychology and psychiatric care until really the nineties. And even then, and I can tell you, as a guinea pig at 15, you know, they, they gave me Prozac and I kept telling them I wasn't depressed. You know, mm-hmm. did, it, it's still the same idea. What can we do to make this person shut up and stop being right. so bothersome or having these problems? Because if they treat you more like you're the problem and if we can get you to shut up, then you're nobody else's problem anymore. And that's what matters. Not that not your problems but that mm-hmm. you're a problem, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's more about me. It's like, a, a in some cases, I think psychiatry is just really for social control. And I'm not, I'm not like 
a Scientology dipshit who's like, psychiatry is always bad and, you know, oh, people no. should take mental health meds or anything. But I, I think there's still definitely a tendency among some practitioners to just try to change the patient's behavior to make it easier on the people around them not to actually exactly. fix the problem. And that's what they did to me. And I just kept advocating for myself, you know, should I be 43 in a couple months? And, you know, I just now got to the right therapy that I needed the whole time. And, and like I said, that was starting from when I was 15 in the nineties, you know, I'm, I'm now in the, we have this EMDR therapy that is, you know, rather new in, in, mm-hmm. in the history of, you know, just even recent um, psychology. And, um, but it's, it's specifically for post-traumatic stress and post-traumatic stress, which I have, you know, creates extreme anxiety in me. So yes, I'm on, you know, like a benzo, but I'm also on, you know, some specific anxiety medications and I do this therapy and I, I'm actually making progress now in my forties. They're not just throwing drugs at me anymore. You know, I'm like, no, 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 this, I hate this. Please don't do this. If you want me to be less of a problem, then you need to actually do something about it. Yeah. So, So I don't like when, you know, um, specifically this time period, um, up until really the seventies, when it started to get a little bit more progressive with films that, you know, uh, psychiatric problems could be, you know, handled humanely and, um, not always demonizing that person experiencing Mm -hmm. them or they're a problem, you know, but at this, at this point in 1962, um, it, it was still, well, She's insane. Okay. Close the book. <laughs> Lock right. her away. She doesn't have to be anyone's problem anymore. And the fact that she is pushed into that insanity, a, pro- a woman who is clearly troubled. Mm-hmm. How far do you have to push? Not very far. And do you have to take it so far? You know, like as long as she did it, like, no, I think that was extreme cruelty. And <clears throat> she's kind of a bitch. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I'm not saying that I don't feel bad for her because I don't think anybody deserves the treatment that Jane gave Blanche, but Blanche was treating Jane unfairly. So it's just really toxic, toxic thing. And she could get her committed because she'd basically driven her off the cliff. Mm -hmm. Her sister, who she should have helped. Yeah. yeah, Like I, I, I had this accident. You didn't do it. It's okay, honey. I'm your sister. I'm here for you. Mm-hmm. We'll do this together right yeah it's like uh, it, it's like definitely a, it's a very toxic and mutually abusive relationship and some people also describe it as a codependent relationship which i see uh, that it, it, I can it's see that. I don't, is toxic it, it is i don't really like the the concept of codependency like a lot of books it's such a broad like definition that you can never um, it wouldn't really work as a diagnostic criteria because I think everyone falls into that trap to some degree, or at least in some relationships. Well, I mean, and just in but it's basic healthy. relationships, like I wouldn't say I'm codependent on my husband, but I'm dependent on him. Mm-hmm. But, you know, any kind of dependency is treated as toxic. And yeah. I'm like, in, in all relationships and in a friendship if you're not depending on your friend, you know, but then when you cross over into the codependency, it's suddenly just like, you know, Katie bar the door. And it's just like, it's not, it's not black and white like that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, 
any any relationship that doesn't have you know healthy boundaries and healthy respect is like going to devolve into something unpleasant. Yeah, and we need to talk about Edwin. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so I had this laugh out loud moment with him when his mom was scolding oh, his him mother. about oh the kind of woman you're running around with do you know that she crippled her own sister and you're like and, and and worse than that she was in a hotel alone with a man she wasn't married to or you know like whatever that line was i don't remember the exact quote but he's like does that come back that's just hilarious it's like well, i don't see why that would bother you that's how i was conceived right <laughs> and and out like, the door. <laughs> but like he is he is so unlikable. He is. He is. <laughs> He's so unlikable. And it's, and I, I feel this is another one of those times where I just feel kind of sorry for Jane, mm-hmm. you know, cause she thinks, you know, cause she, cause she says, you know, daddy says, you know, had said that you're, you always have talent. You never forget that, you know? So she is just ready to make her comeback and be famous again, because she's fixated on that. Uh-huh. that. It destroyed her life and also built her life. So she has this very strong attachment to being famous and, and, and being loved and admired. And, and obviously, you know, her dad was the one who only, only one who did that. And he did it for bad reasons. It was a meal ticket, but mm-hmm. Edwin is fully like, doesn't know who the fuck she, who's baby Jane. Oh, I mean, yeah, of course. <laughs> You know, because he's he's like, well, her sister's rich. They live in this nice house. I can fleece them for some cash because him yeah. and his mom are these complete con artists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is sad because I, I think uh, initially Jane thinks that he is uh, like a real friend or right. has the potential to be a real friend to her. And he's only interested in um, getting money out of her. So that's that is very uh, sad and, and it brings on one of the most chilling scenes in the film when she is performing the, the song that she did as a child that i've written a letter to daddy yeah. and she and you, you you're just like oh you're, it's so cringy it and it's supposed so to be yeah it's definitely I, I also think a real friend would tell her okay don't try to recapture your childhood this is not working it's like eh, you need to do something like fresh and original that's age appropriate <laughs> right and so it's yet another person taking advantage mm-hmm. using her as a meal ticket so again i'm not trying to say jane is the one you should feel sorry for i just feel sorry for both of the the sisters and in, in their own way and i also think they're both evil yeah <laughs> you know there's really no good or bad except for elvira elvira has the best intentions she does and it's like and it does not work out for her mm. it was such a sad uh, moment just horrifying because <laughs> she's like truly the good person in this Really concerned mm. for Blanche, but also she's snowed. She knows Blanche's side of the story, mm. and that's it. She doesn't that's- know the truth. Mm. And that there, there's that moment where she's trying to beat down the door with a hammer because she suspects something's going on. Because you know, because she's always kind of sassy to Jane, who's and Jane's always like sassy back to her. They don't <laughs> like each other, uh-huh. and because Elvira strictly is there for Blanche. 
And, you know, Jane's like, well, I gave her the day off. And, you know, Elvira's suspicious because they're planning, one, to sell the house and to have Jane committed. And Jane mm-hmm. knows everything. Mm-hmm. And she's signing her sister's name to checks and all this stuff. And that comes up, too. But so Elvira comes there and she's trying to beat down the door with a hammer. And there's Jane. And, and she finally, and she just gives her the key. Let's her go in. And she's like, oh, this hammer, though. About to go in your head. Mm-hmm. You're like shit. Yeah, yeah. That that was a very uncomfortable scene. Definitely to see our only like true altruistic good character get killed off like that. Who was mm-hmm. really kind of in the dark. Only knew the the one narrative that wasn't true. And and, yeah. and and you know, and through no fault of her own, supported it. I mean, why wouldn't you believe it? Look at Jane, look how she acts. Why wouldn't you believe mm-hmm. that? And so I feel yeah. bad, you know, she gets she gets killed and you're just like, oh shit. And and, and I mean, because I think our first shock is really the, the bird. The yeah. Bird. Yeah. Oh man, that's so cruel. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I could never do that to someone's pet. Even if it's someone I just hated, I could never kill their pet. It's just oh, no. Too t- no, no. I couldn't do it either. And and so there's that shock. That's like a real first jolt in this movie. Here's Din Din. And it's a fucking <laughs> bird. And it makes... And so what she does to Blanche is makes her afraid to eat. Mm-hmm. And well, like, then there's there's a rat later too, right? Yeah, the, do you yeah. know you have rats in the cellar? Ooh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> so she's she's kind of pushed this psychological game onto Blanche, who mm-hmm. is essentially her prisoner. Um. So that's just this toxicity going back and forth. Mm-hmm. You know, Blanche is snowing her, but that's what that's why I wrote. Did Jane somehow know? It's somewhere because there are parts of our brain that we don't know that we know something. Yeah, sometimes it's intuitive. Yeah. yeah, so I think there was a bit of intuition there, and it just became this like war between them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because what other reason did she have to do that? I mean, yeah, the house is going to be sold, and she found that she was going to get committed, but that's not necessarily brought up at that time. It's later yeah. we get this revealed yeah. in bits and pieces. So it's kind of like, but even at, with that, like, you know, there's no, like, at the time there, there, a chairlift didn't exist for a staircase. Mm-hmm. So Blanche is basically a prisoner up in that room and is like completely dependent on Jane. But then she's working behind her back. It's just like, oh God. Yeah. It's, it's a tangled mess. Definitely. <laughs> Yeah, and it, and it's just um, you know it was a common the common theme you know one of the trademarks of the exploitation psycho bitty whatever you want to call it subgenre the short lived run of it mm-hmm. was in aging insane woman. Mm-hmm. They had I, would to be insane. The, I would say the recent movie X like kind of revived some of the, those tropes. So it was kind of nice though. It was refreshing. Like, cause it was, it was, it was such a short lived little blip in horror history. It mm. was nice to revisit that. Yeah. It, it really was like, I, I really enjoyed X and I really wanted to cover it on the show. It just had so much going on, but, um, you know, I didn't, 
necessarily see that coming. So if you haven't seen X, sorry, um, we don't want to talk about X for a second. <laughs> yeah, but, there, there's some like, yeah, definitely some some scary older people in that. <laughs> we'll just put it that way and not let, get into the other parts. But. Absolutely. <laughs> and it's it's not what I expected when I go because, you know, you don't kind of get that vibe from, you know, the trailer or when you go into that movie, you, you think you know what it's about. And it's one of those movies that turns the tables on you. Mm-hmm. I always appreciate that. Definitely. I like that. <laughs> now that's a successful horror movie, and I don't, and I don't mean like turn, you know, like like jumps out and says "boo." I mean it really makes you think and go, "Holy shit!" I didn't even see that coming. And you kind of like are thinking, like, "Where were the signs? What? Why? How did I miss this? How did I mm-hmm. not see this?" And I love that. That's when a movie is successful as far as a horror film to me. Because you can do that successfully, really, in any genre or subgenre of horror. Um, and I just think we're in a really great wave of horror right now. I, I, I think so, too. That. And I think a lot of that is pulling from the past, fixing what needs to be fixed, and adding new flavor. Getting away from the jump scares and going more for deeper subjects, mood, atmosphere, Um Another, this isn't a spoiler, but the black phone. Oh, yes. I just saw that. Yeah, I just, I just saw that when it came out, um, when I was in Canada last week. And I gotta tell you like that, that, that was well done. I I liked it too. It did have some jump scares, but not to the point that it detracted from the film. They were earned. Yeah. And they weren't overused. It was a lot of mood, tension, everything that you need to have a nice, tight, atmospheric tale. Mm-hmm. And 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 you can do that through you can scare somebody more through atmosphere than a constant jump scares. The jump scares must be earned, mm-hmm. and they should not be overused. And people are starting to learn that. So we are after the dry spell of the '90s, and we and just we had some great extremism movies in the early 2000s, and shit started to suck again. And now we're getting really really good stuff. Yeah. I'm just I'm just happy to be able to like to be excited about horror. so that was kind of yeah x was kind of a nice callback to this uh Mm -hmm. little niche subgenre yeah the the prequel uh too if you saw if you sat through the end credits and saw the pretty cool looking forward to it (laughs) yeah so i think at at its heart um, this film is, I, I would say, a feminist discussion, but it is a mm-hmm. film about misogyny. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't call this a feminist film, but you can definitely like analyze it through a feminist lens. And there's, yeah, a lot of great, uh, great uh, things to dissect with it. Right, and and I I love that. I love when you can just you know take a shovel and dig into a film, and. Yeah. Uh, and and some of this stuff, you know, like I said, you know, back then there there was a lot more nuance and, you, you know, more freedom to kind of bring an interpretation to it. I do that with beans. Um, <laughs> do the Russian fur hat. Yeah. <laughs> Joy is such a, like, um, not good-natured kitty. She puts up with all kinds of bullshit for me. So <laughs> My cash just acquiesce to it they're like well it's gonna happen 
Yeah. She's just going to kiss me until like, I'm like, oh my God, just feed me. <laughs> we love kitties on this show. Yes, um, we do. <laughs> we talk about our cats a lot. That's okay. Um, I love talking about cats. Um, <laughs> trying to go through all my paragraphs here. See if there's something. Um, no, I got it. But yeah. Um, so yeah, this is definitely um, something we agree on that this is more of a misogyny film than it is mm-hmm. a feminist mm-hmm. film. But what you do with misogyny is you put it into a feminist conversation. And feminist horror is a real thing. I would say I would say just being a female can be really scary anyway. It, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Trying to navigate the world and relationships. And I don't mean romantic even friendships with other mm-hmm. women. You know, like we talked about that internalized misogyny. And it's just like I see that more often than I don't. So when I meet a female that like is genuinely my friend, I'm like, oh, yay, <laughs> like, right? we're not, we're not against, we're in this together. This is awesome. You know, but this is really, this is really kind of a blueprint for going down that vein. And, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of women that don't like horror that I've encountered, I've encountered plenty that do. They always say that horror is misogynistic. I would yeah. not say that about current horror. Like I would where not we are right now at like our wokeness or whatever stupid thing you want to say about it, but our enlightenedness, <laughs> let me put it that way. Yeah, I don't like the term woke. Like it's so overused it. now. It's like and it's used for like the dumbest shit imaginable. So yeah, the people know. who claim to be woke, let me tell you, they're not. If you're using I the word know. woke, you are not. <laughs> Yeah, like people who self-identify as woke are usually annoying as fuck. And then like the right wingers who toss around woke as an insult um, also don't know what the fuck they're talking about. And they're they usually too. don't. Um, so, yeah, that's like my two cents. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, we just have I, I, I mean, I consider it more of like an educated um, place mm-hmm. to be um, a compassionate place, a place of truth. And, you know, a place of um, enlightenment. Mm -hmm. So we have that done for us in horror now, but we can go back and deconstruct these kinds of films with that now, because we've all learned. And, you know, I know you and I have both, you know, educated ourselves and studied these kinds of things. So I just, I, I just really like to be able to take that and go back 60 years um, and go, holy shit, <laughs> why haven't, you know, things have changed, but not enough has mm-hmm. in society, you know, because I'm, I'm a big art imitates life kind of person. Yeah, that's that's what I think, too. I think you know, horror is like, it's such a good reflection of the the anxieties of a whole society at a given time. Correct. And, and we see that, you know, just all through time. I mean, throughout like, you know, artworks of and, and you know epics written by ancient peoples and, and things like that it's reflected but you know for us in in modern times it, it would be films uh, and and now television which is really comparable mm-hmm. with films at this point it used to be television was a place you went to go die you know it was like yeah you know, exactly but now there's like a lot of great like direct great to tv TVs. stuff and, and also great you know direct to streaming platform uh projects too so yeah it's Netflix, definitely hulu shutter they've all got great stuff they do just phenomenal 
So, you know, it, it's like we have that privilege and that information is there. I'm going to take it back. And it's like, oh, this this movie means something like the first time I watched this movie. I wasn't thinking about any of these themes. I was just mm-hmm. thinking like, wow, that's fucked up. Yeah, right. <laughs> what the fuck? You know, but now I can go one, I have the the wisdom of being much older, you know, I've got pretty mm-hmm. more years on me and stuff or whatever, but it and, and and you know, the education. So it's like, wow, this movie is a lot deeper and a lot darker than I mm-hmm. thought it was. Cause you can take it at face value. She's crazy. Oh no. And oh, at the end, big reveal, sad music, you know, or you can go, wow. So you can ask yourself the questions. Like I said, did Jane somehow know that just kind of popped out of me? Like, cause it seems like knowing what I know about psychology, like nobody is just, I mean, obviously we have people that are criminally insane. There's a checklist where, where it shows in children where they're clearly sociopaths, but there are people, mm-hmm. you know, um, and that's most people who go through um, mental health problems, addiction um, different things like that. And they recover with the right care, the right support system mm-hmm. and, and knowing that. And, and then going back and saying, this isn't a death sentence. This isn't at the end of your life. You're going to be locked away and thrown in the snake pit drum and, you know, be attacked by violent, insane people because mm-hmm. insane is passe. You don't call people insane unless you're using criminally insane and there's even better terms than that that's like even passe we don't really use criminally insane anymore so yeah so it's not knowing that that's not like there's not like a period at the end of that like we can go back and see little subtleties little differences in in the psychology of both women and what we know now about psychology so it, it means more like oh there is no clear black and white on this yeah. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> so I, I, I mean, I love classic movies and, 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 and normally like, you know, I'm watching like a Humphrey Bogart or whatever. I mean, I, I kind of watch everything, but, um, and they're pretty easy reads, you know, like, uh, the Maltese Falcon, he's a detective who's an anti-hero, didn't really like his partner, but he got killed. So he's got to do something about it. First, he's going to stop fucking his wife. And then, <laughs> He's, you know what I mean? It's pretty clear cut. You can't oh, yeah. <laughs> really pick up nuances in that, but something like this, this little, I mean, it, it obviously has a legacy, but um, most of the other films, aside from Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, are, are forgotten and for good reason. Yeah. Yeah. It just, uh, there's not yeah, too they, far you could play this out. Very, yeah, very cringe and just not. Eh. And the names. For it. I'm just like, yeah, because ageism is a feminist issue. Mm-hmm. You know, men grow distinguished, women grow useless. Into hags, apparently. <laughs> hags. You know, and that's not a term that anybody would use now, even if they were trying to be mean to the older person, the older woman. That's what a hag is, you know, kind of a scary older woman. Um, elderly or whatever but nobody even know, uses that term anymore so they would be like what's a hag <laughs> oh yeah at least we uh, fortunately it's not as prevalent of a term but 
Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm sure there are some people out there who would use it, but like most people would never even think of it. It's not been a part of vocabulary um, commonly used in so long. Mm-hmm. So, Thanks. you know, as I was digging in, I I, I had no, no idea that there was a hagsploitation, psycho bitty hag horror. Psycho bitty is probably the nicest and it's not nice. Um, it's, yeah, it's not nice. I can't, It's catchy, though. I can't like, yeah, kind of a fun uh terms i mean it's fun it, it's it's definitely fun and it's definitely very niche like how far could you really go with this <laughs> the genre like it really played itself out very quickly but we had two great successes from it that have really great legacies and certainly some repeating themes but in a different way um so I, I, I definitely, uh, I'm going to do, well, I'll have to put Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte on there because it is, it is absolutely necessary for any horror fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I definitely need to see that. I, I know I've seen like bits of it, but I don't think I've seen the entire film. It was probably the exact same thing that happened with this one. It was on Turner Classic Movies. And yeah, they like to show it. Point, my mom was like, I don't want to watch this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it, cause it's a slower pace like this one. This one has more of like, we we clearly have just the striking visuals of Jane, you know. Whereas in Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, we don't have that. It's a mood piece, but it does have recurring themes and it does have its shocks and scares. Um, I, I've heard it's more overtly violent, like more slashery uh, than this film. Definitely a precursor. Where, whereas, like the Grand Guignol, um Theater in in France, they basically created gore. Um, back in in the late 1800s and that eventually made its way into the screen and then we get slashers out of it later and first jello and then slashers (laughs) there's like a little timeline of how it all yeah yeah it's so cool (laughs) but yeah i mean um but for like you know um some of the newer fans who you know only want to watch you know, Conjuring movies, maybe this isn't the film for you um, because they're the same people. Uh, we, we, you'll be hearing this in a different order. But last night on The House That Screams, the regular show, we re- recorded an episode about Night of the Living Dead. We were talking about how many people wouldn't watch it just because it's in black and white. These are modern horror fans. And I'm like, oh my God, you're missing out. Like, why would you let that stop you? And it's, it, it's no. not as fast paced, there's no jump scares, but it is everything. It is mood. And that is what this is. It, there, there are a couple shocks and scares. And there's just, it's mostly just creepy, disturbing. Yeah. I, I don't have a problem with black and white films. Like sometimes I think they are more atmospheric than color films. Um, it's a, definitely a different medium and a different art form to make it, you know, really work, you know, for, for both, you know, for black and white or for color. So. Um, but yeah, I would never disparage black and white films as being somehow boring or less than. I just I always feel it. like people who are just flat out say, and let me tell you, Sean was one of them. Flat <laughs> out say, I don't watch black and white movies. I'm like, um, you're about to start because I'm going to open up your world. And now he's <laughs> a huge fan. And I'm like, you know, and that's why I really like that Betty Davis was like, no, no, we got to keep this in black and white. Like that was absolutely the right call because Baby Jane herself is so garish and scary looking, and that <laughs> I think the color would have just been too much. I think so too. Yeah, like 
it, it's still it's it's scary enough in black and white but i think it would be like distractingly garish in color with her makeup and her whole look and i feel like that would detract from the story and mm-hmm. you know some of these other themes i just feel like it would just be because there are a lot of people they watch the first time and they just get that and i don't mean black and white film but black and white reading oh she's crazy and not consider the other yeah. things but if we have this in color oh my god that's all anybody would ever talk about and it's funny how the little ways that it has made its way into uh modern culture i i think i read in the trivia and it was inflicted upon me i would i did not seek this out but christina aguilera i guess um i, I i'm not a i don't listen to her music I'm not trying to say anything good or bad about yeah, it. I, I don't I'm not really into music. pop music personally, so I'm not. Yeah, I only do really... Lady Gaga because she's fucking awesome. She is cool. Yeah, I respect yeah, her as a person. For the most part, like stuff that would be like top forty pop music is just not my thing. Not for me. I listen to like niche stuff. Like that. <laughs> you go to a little punk club, Sam. Mm-hmm. But but so she created a character for on stage called Baby Jane, and I'm like. Why the fuck would you do that? <laughs> did you watch the movie or did you see some pictures? I don't understand. Like, why would you choose this? Because it's not right. flattering. It doesn't fit whatsoever into a pop scenario. And, <laughs> and she's, you know, with, with pop stars, there is that pressure to be attractive, to look young. Why? I mean, I don't know what her iteration of it was, but it had to have been flattering to her. You know Probably. what I'm saying? I want to Google that right now, actually. Yeah, I'm, I'm fucking curious. curious as hell. All right. I'm going to do it, too. So, listeners, we are Googling. Because <laughs> I read that, and I was just like, oh, what? Um, Okay. I, I heard that there was a, um, like, some some skit or short piece that had Courtney Love and Madonna, like, kind of riffing on the whatever happened to Baby Jane thing. Oh, with, yeah. Like, there's the- been a lot of little plays on it. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, baby Jane. I see baby Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Why did it pop up, baby Jesus? <laughs> oh, okay. So, uh, yeah, her is baby Jane. Listeners cannot see this, but you can Google it. Is nothing like the film. Nope, not at all. She looks very pretty. She has the blonde suit. curls, but she is not going for like a scary hag look. At oh all. yeah, she's going for young, beautiful corset. Got the pearls. That the pearls are the only thing. Mm-hmm. She didn't even have like the heart. Like, oh my god, you could have at least done that. Yeah, she should have at least done the heart beauty mark if she was going to like reference that character. Huh. I was curious because I read that in the trivia, and I was like, what? Yeah, what? I didn't know anything <laughs> about that. So. Why would you go after that? Why why, why that? Because I know that when she did it, she was rather young. I know she's close to, you know, our age. Mm. You know, she's getting up there. Um, oh God, like we're old. No, we're, we're psycho baby. We're <laughs> yeah. We are in our early 40s. But I'm just saying, like, you know, I even at my age, I was like, not do that unless I was going to be like some big cosplay. But I'm I'm not a pop star trying to look attractive and sell albums either. Yeah, if I did a Baby Jane cosplay, I would lean into the hideousness. Like, you just have to 
You just have to. It would take away all the fun if you didn't. I'd take that makeup on and I would uh, do the frilly I'd dress. Extra on, you know. <laughs> carry around, you know, like a silver tray bird, fake bird. <laughs> you know, like rat. I could have a lot of fun with that. Yeah, yeah, that could be a really fun, uh, like, convention cosplay kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, her baby Jane looked more like a gangster's mall from, like, the 40s. Yeah, yeah, I totally that, that was. That. I, I don't know. They were like, oh, she referenced it. I'm like, I don't know that she did. Maybe she just, it, it sounds like a gangster's mall's name. Mm, um, could be, yeah. Like, yeah, it's know. like maybe she never even saw the movie. It's just like, I don't, I don't see a connection there. But no. Yeah, I didn't see it at all, so. So that that's the results of our Google uh, listeners. Uh, you're, you're welcome to look that up if you want, but you will not be able to make the connection because <laughs> we can't. <laughs> and we've watched this movie a lot. So um, I don't know. Um, do you feel that there is something else that we need to address here that we haven't addressed? Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot we could not that I can think of any at the moment, but you know, when we end the recording, it will be like, Oh damn it. I should have oh, yeah. you know, X, Y, Z about me getting you know, in the- bed later tonight. I'll be like, shit. <clears throat> I did really enjoy that. Um, that uh, YouTube video by that, that fashion historian. That was um, that very really interesting. Good. Like I didn't even think of like the house decor consciously, but yeah, it's like the, the, the set design and the costumes definitely tell you a lot about the characters and kind of, and it's kind of like a reverse portrayal. Um, if we take away, you know, our ambiguity on good versus evil on this, we'll, we'll just mm-hmm. put that aside, but you know, you would typically put your, your villain in the darker clothes, but yep. we have Blanche who actually is a villain, but we're, we're disregarding that at the moment. And he's sedate, darker clothes mm-hmm. and jane in like the it's white and the bright in white and yeah light colors and um a lot of frilly you know outdated kind of girlish yeah girlish clothes so it's like oh with her they got these tropes you would associate with innocence or purity and it's like oh man nope <laughs> but yeah that, that, that i did like i do like it when movies like mess with um you know, things, things that would normally be instant read icons about a character where they take that and then they flip it on its head. I love that. Shit oh, me when- too. And I didn't, I mean, I know that this won the Academy Award um, for all that. It, I think it was nominated for eight things. It won for best costume design. And so in that video um, really describes well, you know, how this movie's kind of playing with you and keeping you know like and and that's one of those like subconscious kind of reads where you're just like oh well that's off-putting that's not what i expected it's not Mm -hmm. what we're trained to to perceive these kind of roles you know whereas one's playing good sister one's playing bad sister really they're both bad sister but um but that's on deeper look but i'm just like first watch yeah it's it's off-putting it's it's different you're kind of like hmm you know, and that, and I, and the intentionalness of it, you know, is to keep you wondering, to kind of put you on edge. That's what they did before they played that tone in movie theaters to get you like anxious before a jump scare happened to trick mm-hmm. your mind into thinking the movie is scarier than it actually is. That's what yeah. modern culture does. Back then, it was more tricks of the mind, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I like that. 
So yeah, for for people who are interested in uh, watching the the YouTube video that dissects the fashion and the set design, the channel is called The Ultimate Fashion History. And the video is Fave Film Fashion, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. So it's totally worth checking out. Absolutely. It is very entertaining and very eye-opening. And um, I like fashion anyway. Um, I used to own all of my grandmother's like 40s and 50s dresses, but I no longer have them. But I, I just love fashion from that time because it was so different. And as for somebody who casually bums around the way that I do, Rizka, <laughs> tank, you know, always in sneakers. Well, that's a requirement, but whatever. You know, I do that anyway. But it, it's just, uh, you know, when I put on a dress, it's usually got like monsters on it. But, you know, like <laughs> yeah. I still love fashion. Actually, the first mm-hmm. thing I ever wanted to be when I grew up was a fashion designer. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. I was a kid and I, um, I, I loved Barbies just because I would like, cut their clothes and um my grandmother had taught me to sew and I love doing needlework. I haven't done it in years, but um I was heavily doing it um like crochet. I sew so I would cut her clothes and then re-sew them into you know styles that I wanted because Barbie's clothes never pleased me enough. Mm-hmm. No, I want to do this, but obviously that was quickly replaced with you know I'm gonna be a writer, which has probably been the only constant thing I've ever wanted to be. Yeah, <laughs> I feel I have some success at writing, um, at least the fact that I write. So that's that's constant. But anyway, so, yeah, um, it, it surprises me that I, I had not picked up on that before, though. I think subconsciously I had. But at the, you know, the top of my head, no, I hadn't picked up on that. It's just that one of those unsettling things, uh, a mental mindfuck kind of thing to make you know that mm-hmm. shit's shit's weird just more off-putting than you realize Mm -hmm. that something can instinctually off-put you or confuse you and nothing's better in a horror movie than confusion oh yeah (laughs) right that's true because when you're confused you're anxious you're tense you're seeking you're looking exactly Exactly. and then eventually you're going to see something that you don't necessarily want to see and that's how they get you that's the psychology of that which is fucking brilliant Mm-hmm. well-deserved oscar yeah yeah just definitely phenomenal on so many levels yeah and and yeah i i think i i have done baby jane's makeup it was a long time ago because i used to uh dress up as characters so like every halloween like everybody be scary and me the horror fan i was like i'm gonna be veronica lake and the blue dahlia you oh, know cool. And, and and do, you know, the whole thing. I was uh, Audrey Hepburn in Breakfast at Tiffany's. I was Baby Jane one year with a little heart. But uh, like Christina Aguilera, I did try a little harder. But um, I, I still had to be pretty, though. <laughs> I was young. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like in my teens. But, you know, it, it's, it's a lot of fun. But uh, it contrasts, again, you know, this, this is a movie of contrast. Um, and and chaos. Uh, it, it contrasts, you know, the dark tone of this movie. And you know, and this is at a time when we're finally starting to get out. Of, there's there's a good guy and there's a bad guy. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're starting to. It's getting a little bit muddy. Um, and and Humphrey Bogart was really a champion of that. He played the antihero, a, a good guy who's not really that good. He's yeah. kind of bad. <laughs> 
So, you know, this is, this is just an interesting time in history. Now, almost all movies kind of, you know, um, even horror movies, especially like the no, nothing's cut and dry all the time. And like most movies aren't, there's a little bit of humanity here, a little bit of you understand because we start to ask the questions. Why, why would this person be like this? We want backstory, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, that's me. I just think this is a successful. Oh, yeah. Very yeah, successful. Definitely. So, yeah, if you're if you're not ready to dip your toes into uh, some of the more sedate and uh, nuanced performances, even though this one is a bit nuanced, it's, it's a little bit more um, bang for your buck if you're looking for a little bit of excitement in some of the scenes. Um, I don't think it necessarily will play to people who um, can't get into the mind frame past, you know, I should say predating 1980. Yeah. Um, it may, it may not be for you. Maybe a little slow for me. It's just right. Right. I, <laughs> I don't mind bird movies. Yeah. Like slow bird movies can be great as long as there's a payoff. That's, that's the main thing, but as long as it builds tension and there's a payoff, slow burn is just fine with me. And that's how people were about Midsommar. They're like, it takes too long for anything to happen. I'm like, there's stuff happening the whole time. Oh, yeah, definitely. Just not picking up on it because it's not like throwing it in your face mm-hmm. the whole time. And without that story, the rest of it means nothing. Those those yeah. money shots at, at the end, they don't mean shit. Mm-hmm. True. <laughs> Just like, well, that was uninspiring. Well, if he'd watched the story, <laughs> but yeah, this is this is one you definitely have to have the story on. And um, I don't know, <laughs> should I go here on this? Because I was thinking about, did I say everything I wanted to say about Edwin? Gee. Sorry, the cats are misbehaving a little bit here. Oh, okay. oh, I'm, sorry. <laughs> I'm like snapping at them, like stop it. <laughs> the cats are too lazy for that. They're just like. Ugh. They're just so lazy. So <laughs> um, they're really like tree like kings. So like everything, their treats are brought to them. Oh, you don't want to come get them? I'll bring them to you, Brad. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. um with Edwin, no, I don't know if this is like the intention because when <clears throat> pardon me, when we covered our first classic film, The Bad Seed, we talked about a closeted gay man mm-hmm. as one of the characters. <clears throat> you know, it was Monica's brother, but it wasn't like it never came out and said that. Of course, not homosexuality in the fifties. No, I mean, so I feel like Edwin is definitely um, a queer character. Yeah, yeah, I could, I could see that too. Oh, sorry about that. Uh, okay, stepping away just for a second because of a catastrophe. <laughs> catastrophic why are you being so naughty clovis why why woolly why that's what we say about our cats (laughs) wild and woolly but um yeah i feel like you know i got that maybe it was inferred or we you know the 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 viewer supposed to dig into that uh, yeah definitely could be like a coded gay character is what my yeah, film definitely feels queer coded every time i watch it it feels that way you know mm-hmm. living with his mom they're con artists but he has no interest in women 
Mm-hmm. And that's really obvious. And it's not just because it's, you know, he's hanging out with Jane. Like he has no interest in any woman, not even, he doesn't even like being around his mother. You mm-hmm. know, like he's just, he, you know, we, we have no romantic entanglements. There's not even, because if he wanted the money bad enough, there could be like a whole Sunset Boulevard vibe. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like he, he was like, oh no, um, I'll play the piano and you can pay me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. The Sunset Boulevard could kind of fit into the hag horror thing. Yeah, and it would definitely be like a precursor, a way yeah. precursor. Yeah. It's definitely, yeah, like the whole thing with an aging actress who's thinking she can get her career back up to where it was. And it's like, it's just like self-delusion and narcissism and oh, absolutely. Yeah, I can definitely, I can definitely see some, like, we could absolutely talk about Sunset Boulevard. I could make that point. Yes. A hundred percent. I love that movie. And it, it could be a, a very great precursor. Yeah. Um, that is a similar themes. Yeah, it does. It does have some similar themes. Yeah, I just, wow, when you said that, I was like, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> yeah, I was thinking of it earlier today, and then, you know, I didn't write down my thoughts. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that movie. <laughs> yeah, because I just started, like, putting it together, because mm-hmm. very similar in theme, now that I think about it. Mm-hmm. A lot of, I because we got that. My up, Mr. DeMille. <laughs> like, yeah, and it's so like there she does at the end. Like, ah! <laughs> so off-putting and creepy as hell. I know it is super creepy. What it effectively does is put that sadness in there. Mm -hmm. The the sympathy for everyone who, and and nobody's also like good or bad, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. but we do have sympathy and empathy for these characters here. um, It's just, it's just not as laid out cut and dry, but it's there. You just gotta, you just gotta look a little harder. And I, I certainly suggest, you know, watching it doing a little research and then watching it again mm-hmm. if you're going to watch this movie <clears throat> my voice and, yeah. allergy I, problems I, sorry <clears throat> i am having allergy problems to the last few days it's just been miserable mm. <clears throat> yeah because my voice has been doing this so i apologize um <laughs> i just had to like clear my sinuses before the show i thought that'd do it um so I guess at this juncture, I need to say, wow, Candy, why haven't you read this book? So I'm going to read this book. <laughs> yeah, The fact that I haven't shocks me. I, I love comparing, you know, uh, books versus the film adaptations. I didn't have a chance to with this, but yeah, I did not either. To see, uh, you know, how, how similar or different it is. It's odd because the same book's been on my table for two weeks and that never happens because I read so fast. I just haven't had time. Right. So I'm gonna get to that because uh I'm curious. I want to compare and contrast for just for my own purposes because I like to do that. Um but yeah so I I don't know I guess we we go to reviews at this point because I guess yeah, that's I all I have could. left to say. I mean like at this juncture. Yeah I feel like we covered you know, all the main points. Yeah. So I guess for my review, um, zero surprises. I'm going to give this um, 10 out of 10 baby Jane dolls. Now those fuckers were creepy. Those are, yeah, creepy ass dolls. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> and actually, as a publicity stunt, they gave some away during the screening of this film, mm-hmm. which oh, was wow. one of the highest grossing films of 1962. Which is yeah, that, that's a great promotional thing to do, but man, those stalls are like, eh. I'd be like, okay, that's going in the fucking attic, and no one's ever going in there. Yeah. <laughs> I might just drop it off at a dumpster on the way home, like that. Thanks and all, but I gotta go. It's like that like Annabelle doll vibe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's actually how scary how much Annabelle looks like Baby Jane. I know. I just thought of that. It's like, oh yeah, yeah. And we got like a bigger doll too. Uh huh. It's like, oh, it's life size. I'm like, oh no, 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 fuck that shit. <laughs> fuck that shit so moment one when he's handing out those baby jane dolls he's like don't be scared little girl i'm like fuck you i'd run <laughs> mommy this man's trying to give me this scary doll <laughs> but yeah so 10 out of 10 baby jane dolls because um i just think that there's just so much to unpack and like i said you know i've seen this movie so many times and i started writing my notes for this uh i sometimes post pictures of them on my instagram Um, My crazy notes. And I just had written three things and they were like one sentence. One of them was my opening quote. And I'm like, wait, wait. And then I started writing paragraphs, like an essay. And I'm like, oh, I have a lot to say. And that's how this movie is. Like initially you just have like these, these very strong performances, strong responses to them. But then after that, that flashes over, there's just so much. And, uh, you know, I, I like that this could be used as a springboard because obviously, though, this is a feminist sidecast, uh, horror movie sidecast to uh, The House That Screams. Sometimes these films are not feminist films, as you know, yeah. high tension, <laughs> audition. Some of them were misogynistic, but misogyny <laughs> is part of the springboard to move it into a feminist conversation. And I like that we can take a horror film like this, that's as old as my mother, who was born in 1962. And we can can unpack all of this in 60 years later. And there's just so much depth. And and, and there's genuine scares. There's genuine creepiness. I mean, just some chilling, haunting things in this film that will stay with you in, Mm -hmm. in that delightfully gleeful horror fan way where you just kind of turned over your mind, like, man, that, that fucking creeped me out. That was great. Um, (laughs) you know, so you're thinking about it later at bedtime and you're like, oh, that's a successful film for me. I'm thinking about it. Mm -hmm. But, um, and, and showing really honestly some truth, um, truth of the state of mental health care and how that in itself is a horror movie alone, basically a death sentence in a way a silencing um you didn't get people help you you just put them away and and that's a very real scary thing and um and then finding out the truth at the end makes you kind of want to go back and see what you miss and so i like that when a film not only has you know pathos and and the scares and atmosphere but makes it has rewatchability and I've seen this movie a lot of times, so there's got to be something pretty awesome about it for me to keep going back. Because there's some movies I've seen maybe, you know, 10 or even five times, sometimes once or twice. And there are movies that I watch a lot. And this is one of the ones I've watched a lot. Anytime <laughs> I've, I've, I've had access to it, 
Um, or I'm just like, hey, you know, I'm going to pop that in or, hey, it's on HBO. I'm going to sit down and watch those, you know. So that to me makes for a successful film. And all the gossip and the feuding behind it, I think, gave a renewed interest in it. And this being the 60th anniversary, I don't think they even even with that, they would have put it on the big screen had it not been for the miniseries feud. So um, it's definitely an important part of history. And it's definitely a weird jumping off point for exploitation, psycho bitty hag horror, whatever you want to call it, that came and went. But it this mm-hmm. this legacy stayed. So 10 out of 10 baby Jane dolls. Yeah, yeah. I I also I have to give this 10 out of 10 Joan Crawford eyebrows. Um <clears throat> it's uh yeah, just it, it is like a phenomenally well done film that like we were saying, like just provokes a lot of thought and analysis of the characters and uh you know the the psychological you know elements as well um which like you know looking looking back on that era now there's definitely a lot more to go into with that uh, but yeah the performances are just outstanding um the I, well I, I think that some of the the feud stuff was probably um, like overblown for publicity, like the fact that there there was some some rivalry or, or you know like dislike mutual dislike uh, between Joan Crawford and Betty Davis definitely does enhance the film, <laughs> and uh, I definitely I think it enhanced the performances a lot. So yeah, I, I do definitely recommend this to uh, horror fans. Awesome! Another ten out of ten for us. We're on a roll. <laughs> but um, so if you haven't seen the film, definitely check it out. Um, because you might be surprised at how much you like it. Absolutely. And at that juncture, um, I know that you have some things. Well, we have some things to plug, but I'll let you do that. We do. Um, and let's see, my video's cutting out a little bit. <clears throat> Yeah, oh, okay. Good. We're yeah. back. Okay. You froze for a second. I'm like, oh no. Um, yeah, please uh check out finalgirlcosmetics.makeup. Um, we've got new stuff to be added shortly. Right now we have the uh the Iskanov Dreamscape collection, and we have the um the final girl bundle, which is like a super fun, like four palette eyeshadow and earring set. Um, and we've got like a lot of lipsticks and eyeliners and other eyeshadow palettes coming out shortly. Yeah, I am very excited about them. So details on that soon. And I'll have Sean edit this out. But so Sean edit this out. Um, <laughs> but uh, oh, fuck, what was I going to say? Hold on. Oh, I, I tried to set it up so that my the final girl Instagram has linked to our page and it's coming oh, cool. through, right? Um, that's a good question. I should check. I didn't double check it. Uh, I did it before I went to Canada. Okay. Yeah. I have not even been on social media. The last I've barely been on myself. Days, so, but yeah, that would, uh, yeah. Having it, it link, uh, would, will definitely help a lot. Because I was I was posting like a picture because I, I was loving like Major Mantel and, and um creature and I'm wearing those a lot. Yeah, I, I saw I that it. picture. It looks really good. So it posted to the Facebook. 
Um, I saw it on Instagram. So let me oh, check okay. and see if it's on the Because I was wearing my creature dress that night and I was like, oh, this is fun. I like this. Mm. Yeah, I, I know I, I sent you like an admin um, invite, yeah. which hopefully you use that. But I mean, I know you can like post, you know, manually post to both, but when it links it and then automatically post it, it's just so much easier. Yeah, I think, I think, let me, my phone's being dumb. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah, it is. It's doing it. Like the post here where I'm wearing, I, I have the colors next to me and that palette on the green colors right here. And it gives me the option to like boost them. It's below our pin post, but like I, I have like where I posted on our Instagram, the, the webpage opening. And <clears> of course my, my internet's being a dick and I don't know if it's uh yeah, so it's it ah, there it up. is. Yay, it did show up. Okay. Sweet. Yeah, and then and then the good reviews and the looks and stuff like that. So okay, cool. That's working. All right, good. I should have thought of that earlier, but I did not until now. So I apologize for interrupting you. But yeah, Sean, edit all that ah, out. <laughs> no problem. No, that's a that's a cute look there. <laughs> I, I was having fun with it. I did it again last night. I'm I'm having I usually hate the color green. Mm, I do like like, these kind of lime green colors and I like neon greens. So yeah, and I wore it with like the um the toxic waste eyeliner, so it was really fun. Nice. Like I think I'm liking green on me. But uh yeah, so check out final girl cosmetics.makeup. (laughs) And anything else that you would like to plug? I think that's everything at the moment. Okay, um, mine's not super fancy. Um, I'm just going to point you in the direction of my link tree, which is really everyone's link tree because I have the biggest mouth and uh, do a lot of the talking outside of the podcast as well as in the podcast um, for the <laughs> podcast. So it's link tree slash can you funnel girl. You're going to find us, our merchandise, um, our our. Um, Eric and I is a makeup company, Final Girl Cosmetics. You're going to find that. You're going to find all the people in our podcast network, just Instagram, like anything to think of, it's there, I promise. And uh, also, uh, by the time you hear this, you should be able to access um, from Ghouls Magazine. Um, you can find them on Twitter. Uh, I believe it's just uh, ghoulsmagazine.com. Mm-hmm. Eric and I um, have co written an article. Uh, about I spit on your grave on there, which will is the first uh, piece that we wrote together. So uh, check that out. Mm-hmm. We worked pretty hard on that. And yeah, uh, that that was a fun project. Yeah, definitely more to come. We obviously like working together, which is awesome. Definitely a lot of fun. <laughs> I appreciate anyone who can put up with me. It takes a special person. <laughs> No, you're awesome. Come on. I'm baby Jane. I'm a little over the top. <laughs> I'm not murderous, though. Promise. Right. Right. <laughs> that one time was an accident. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I couldn't even harm a fly. I say that and then I realize I sound like psycho. Yeah, I actually mean it. I won't even kill bugs and I don't like them. I don't like to kill bugs either, to be honest. I- I'm scared of spiders, but I won't kill them. I, I love spiders, but you know. this is a phobia. <laughs> yeah. I just lovingly carry them outside. Yeah, that's that's other people's jobs in this house. I have my <laughs> jobs. That's not it. 
Yeah, yeah. That's not my job. Because <laughs> I'm the one screaming. But you know, <laughs> we all have our purpose. Um, that's not mine. <laughs> I just won't kill it. I'll just leave and threaten to burn the house down if somebody doesn't get rid of it. <laughs> like, you stay out in your home and I'm going to stay in mine. We're cool, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I let them live out here as long as they're away from me. But anyway, I digress. Um, so... Thank you all for listening to this. Uh, more Ghouls Night Out to come. Uh, the next two picks have uh, been Erica's requests, and I'm very excited to talk about those. And they're going to be a, a neat little shift in, in tone and pace, and I'm excited about that. So stay tuned. And thank you again. And thank you for having this talk with me. Thank you very much. It's always fun. Absolutely. Now to go see what Joe Bob is torturing us with tonight. I know. I'm curious too. <laughs> Sean was in there watching the boys, so he isn't even updating <clears throat> me. So I'm like, I'm completely in the dark here. But <laughs> yeah. So have a good night and I love you. Love you. <laughs> have a great Bye. night too. <laughs> Bye. Yeah.